the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven. Um, it's interesting how much fatherhood affects our lives um, for good and for lack or for bad. Psalm 103.13 says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And um, as a father, I know what it means to have compassion on your kids. But somehow along the way, people have a difficult time believing God has the same compassion toward them that an earthly dad has. And, and part of that is because we have so many messed up images of what a father is. Yesterday, I went to two different, um, I don't know if you want to call them conferences, but two different settings, uh, both sponsored by churches, about communication and family. And, um, and one of them even had Planned Parenthood there as a booth for communication and family. And I'm, I was trying to figure out how, how are we what, what are we, what are we saying? And the interesting thing was most of the focus, um, even though they were sponsored by churches, the churches weren't the presenters. It was the Family Counseling Center from APU did one, and the other was LA County Family Counseling. And both of them were more focused on moms and on women than they were on fathers. And all of the booths and all of the um, resources that were available were for women. And there wasn't much mention about men. And yet when you get into groups and there's discussions begin about this generation, about children being raised up, about all of the, the difficulties uh, among this generation, the issue that always comes up is, is fatherhood. Um, all of the, the crime rate, all of the gangs, so we're dealing with gangs in Azusa, and we have round tables where we sit down and we deal with the gangs. The issue that always comes up is fatherhood. Um, where are the dads to help these young men um, become men God has made them to be? And so as we look at the heart of a father, you know, all the way back, Isaiah, when, when he prophesied about coming Messiah and he gave all these attributes, he, he called him the everlasting father. Um, you know, in the beginning, the father planned to have a family. You know, in Revelation 21, 7, at the end of all things, it says, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. He shall be my son. Second Corinthians six eighteen, I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters. So God's always had a father heart. God has always had a heart toward us that is an Abba heart, is a daddy heart. Um, all the way from Genesis 1, um, all the way to the end of Revelation, the father is deeply interested in us and he has a plan for our life. I tell, um, I tell people this all the time. I tell parents this. I say, look, you, you, you choose who you're going to marry. You choose where you want to work. You choose where you want to live. But the reality is you don't choose when you will have a child, and you don't choose who that child will be. God chooses both. 
And scripture tells us that before the foundations of the world were laid, God knew us. And so God is divinely involved in the issue of fatherhood, and God chooses who we will father and who will be our father. And so in that whole process, you know, it's the Lord's against those. The Bible says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So God's eyes are always on us. God's ears are always open to us. He's always longing for intimacy, for conversation, for us to include him in everything that's going on in our life. And so to, to go deep with God, we really have to see him as father as opposed to God. That's why, you know, John 17, 3, Jesus, when talking to his father, says, Father, this is eternal life, that they may know the only true God. So our life with God is based upon our relationship with him as in fatherhood and intimacy and not as God. Um, David, you know, Psalm 27, 4, one thing I have desired and that while I seek all the days of my life to dwell in the house of the Lord, to behold his beauty and to inquire in his temple. David knew there was this intimacy of all the things David had, of all the things David to do. He says, the one thing I want is to be with God. Mary and Martha, we've gone over this many times, but Mary Bethany, when Martha is upset because Mary's not helping her serve Jesus and serve the disciples, Jesus tells Martha, 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 you're worried about so many things, but Mary has chosen the better thing. And so this better thing, this one thing, is intimacy with the Father, and it's doable and attainable for every person, regardless of how strong or how weak you think you are. It's fully attainable there. And so it's Jesus who revealed the Father. It's Jesus who made the Father known to us. John 14, 7, Jesus makes this really clear. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. But Philip says, Lord, show us the Father then. That's sufficient for us. Just show us the Father. Show him to us. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? So the fatherhood of God dominates everything about Jesus' ministry. Now, I want you to think about this for one moment. Scripture says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It didn't say, in the beginning, the heavenly Father created the heavens and the earth. There's something unique about our relationship with God that we only get to enjoy because of creation and procreation and God's relationship with humanity. There were angels who were present when God created the earth. There were angels who have been, there are angels who have been around his throne for eternity. There are those who are crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Angels, those who created God will never, ever know the identity of God as Father. They will never experience what you and I get to experience. For angels, for created beings, for those who have been around the throne for eternity past and will be there for all eternity, they will always know God as God. They will never know him as Father because they are not recipients of the grace of God through Jesus to where we become his sons and daughters. And so 
the one who sits on the throne and lives forever and ever is only father to those who embrace him as such through his son, Jesus. That's why Jesus, when he does the Lord's Prayer, that's why I made this clear a few weeks ago. He doesn't start out with God in heaven. He starts out with our Father in heaven, which was a shocking statement for him to make to the disciples to begin to change their Hebrew mindset of seeing God as God and begin to see God as this intimate relational being known as Father. So, and, and the deal is this. We're not to stand a distant from him. We, people who see God as God look at him somewhere up in some ethereal, faraway place that is distant. When we have a relationship with God as Father, it's not a distant relationship. It's an intimate relationship. And it's so important for us to understand the fatherhood of God. The Father blesses us with favor and approval and provision, enabling us to walk out our destiny. Listen, now this is Matthew 25. This is the parable that Jesus tells about the sheep and the goats. But listen to what Jesus says. When the Son of Man comes, he will sit on the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered, and the king will say to those on his right, Come, you blessed of my Father. He's not saying, Come, you blessed of God. Even at the judgment, when we're asked to enter in, we're asked to enter in as the blessed children of Father God, not of the redeemed of God, but the children of God. Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So the Father was thinking of you and I, according to Jesus, when he laid the foundation of the world. God was, when he laid the foundation for you and I, he was thinking of creation, he was walking in creation, he was doing what he was doing as a father and not as a supreme, omnipotent, omniscient being. Not as the sovereign of all. He was doing it as the close, intimate father of all. I talked about this a few weeks ago. Jesus in Gethsemane, when he cries out, he doesn't cry out and say, God, God, why, why am I having to go through this? He cries out and he says, Abba, Father. Abba, this, this Hebrew word that literally means daddy. It is the ultimate expression. Hebrew children understood the ultimate expression of this Abba, Father. This intimate calling of Papa, this intimate term of endearment that, that includes the assurance of receiving God's kindness and affection. The son was the only one who had the right to call God Abba. But then something happens. The spirit of adoption comes. And you and I, we are all given a privilege of children through the spirit of adoption. Now, I have an adopted brother, an adopted sister. I have an adopted niece. I have two adopted grandchildren. And I have hundreds of foster brothers and sisters. I think my parents fostered over 300 kids. Now, they fostered these kids after I was married, after I was out of the house and I already had children. But here's the interesting thing. Of the hundreds and hundreds of kids that my parents were foster parents to, and some were a short time, they were a foster home for abused children. So when children were taken out of their home for being abused, they were immediately brought to my parents' house. Out of all those relationships, 
most of those foster kids, their identity never changed. They went from foster home to foster home. Their identity was always that as an abused child. My adopted sister knows who her parents are, her birth parents, but her identity is in our family. My adopted brother, Luke, whom you all know, he knows who his real mom is. He knows who his real dad is. He knows who his brothers are. He has relationship with his blood brothers. But his identity is not with his blood family. His identity is because of adoption. And because of adoption, he identifies with us. My two adopted grandchildren, their parents were drug addicts, were, were meth addicts. Um, their parents were part of the Aryan Brotherhood, part of a gang. They were violent. They, they, they were violent people. But my two grandchildren do not, they know about their parents. My, my daughter and, and my son-in-law have been very open about where they came from and, and that they're adopted and they understand all that. In fact, at their adoption, when we were there in the court before the judge, those two little, they changed their identity. And the moment they, came, they signed their adoption papers, they signed, they changed their identity. And the moment they signed that adoption paper, their birth certificate disappears from their birth parents and they get a new birth certificate saying that these are their parents. So the spirit of adoption is a powerful thing. There's a, there's a video I want to show you because Romans 5 says, you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And this, um, <laughs> we're going to fix this real quick. Yeah, Dale, can you get the light switches behind you? Yeah, turn that off. And that little clicker switch right by your shoulder, Dale. Yeah. It's a Budweiser commercial. Now where's the sound? Um, it feels like he's been around forever. Okay. This is my Stop for a moment. Stepdad. you got to turn the music off in the background. Mark's not Technically stepdad, but... We're... We'll get there. <laughs> we are. My dad. This is my wonderful stepdad, Randy. Um, it feels like he's been around forever. This is my lovely stepdad of 28 years now. I should say just dad at this point. Look at that. You hit a little bit harder, you could've got both of them. I didn't really have like a close relationship with my like actual dad, so when I met Mark, I was like, oh, this is like what a dad is. Growing up, it was just my mom and I. I had this fantasy that my parents are gonna get back together. When my mom met Randy, I just remember my mom would try to get us to act like father and daughter. I was not having it. I don't need this other person trying to come in and be my dad. Your pole's all backwards. Well, see? When I met Paul 28 years ago, I was a fiery little uh, a brat. You said it, not me. <laughs> As a stepfather, you know, you have boundaries and, you know, the relationship like, it develops over time. And I just took things, you know, day by day and, you know, we grew as a family. 
I told your mom when I first met her, I was like, I want this. You know, it took some time, but I suddenly saw Randy in a different light. There's this person right here that loves me and will do anything for me. And then it was like, boom, what are you doing? You have, you have someone right there, like right in front of you. Thank you. It's one of those things I don't think you ask for, right? Like, you're not like, you know, one day I'm going to be a stepfather. <laughs> watching Victor grow, watching the person that he's become has been amazing. And to know that maybe I've had a little bit of influence on that has been awesome. Yeah. I feel. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I think she got the work ethic from me. I do always have a job and pay my bills and... Except your phone bill. <laughs> Well, I think parents should always keep you on their phone bill. I do too, because that way I know she'll call us. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is uh, kind of a part of this that you didn't really know. I wanted to actually ask you to, um, like, legally adopt me, because I've been using your last name anyways. If you could just, like, actually, like, legally adopt me, I think it would be that like, kind of just like a beautiful ceremonial thing, you know what I mean? Absolutely. I think it'd be. So how do you envision your wedding? Mainly, I want you to be the one to walk me down the aisle. But more than that, um, I was wondering if you'd adopt me and become my dad for real. Everything that my biological father promised that he would do, you actually came through and did. I just wanted to ask you if you would like to adopt me as yours. Love you. Does your mom know about this? <laughs> I feel like I'm making up for something that I never had. It feels like I had this family all along and I didn't see that I had it. To me, he's always been my father. Y'all need a beer now? So here's the deal. That's how God feels about us when he adopts us, when he adopts us through Jesus. And if we could find our identity in that type of love, in that type of affection, in that type of relationship, everything would change in how we see ourselves. Most Christians spend their life walking around in their brokenness still because they've never fully embraced the fact that God has fully adopted them that God fully wants him to find their identity in him. And each one of these, what you saw in these three stories are the exact same stories of my sister, my brother, my grandchildren, my niece. My, <clears throat> my niece is black. My daughter and her husband are white. She finds her identity as their daughter, fully and completely. There's no other question about it. And so... 
the, the Spirit's role is to convince us of what God the Father is like so that we can relate to God like Jesus did. So that we can relate to God in this price that was paid, this, these adoption papers that were signed that say we are His. This, this revelation that touches what He wants to have a cry of the human spirit. Everybody wants to have a dad that they can find their identity in. And when we have that confidence, we can, with full assurance, cry Abba, cry Daddy, by the spirit of adoption. Um, it's why God created us. God created us to have fellowship and relationship with him. Um, and so we're invited to walk in intimacy with God as we receive the Father's embrace um, at an even greater level than what we just experienced in watching a beer commercial. Um, in watching the emotion that comes when two people who have nothing in common biologically but have everything in common emotionally. We, by adoption, the genetics in us become God's genetics when we invite the spirit of the living God to live and dwell in our, in our being, and we find our identity in him. And it's when we find our identity in him that we have the insurance that God loves us and enjoys us no matter what. Our relationship with him is not based upon what we do. Our relationship with him is based upon what Jesus did. It's already done. There's nothing more for us to do. And it comes when we fully embrace this revelation, this understanding that the Father longs for us and that God, the Father, actually enjoys you, actually enjoys me. Um, in the parable of the prodigal son, I'm not going to read the whole thing. <clears throat> I remember uh, years ago when we were dealing with the property up in the canyon, the, the property was purchased by an international theological seminary, and the man who ran the seminary, we had a discussion one day about the, the parable of the prodigal son, and he was convinced that the parable of the prodigal son was about the brother. Um, that, that the story was about the brother. I'm convinced, because Jesus is the one telling the parable, that the parable is about the heart of a father and what a father has to learn how to do and what a father is willing to do to show unconditional love to his children. And it was Jesus' picture, story of how God the Father loves us in our brokenness. And so I don't... Even though there's, you know, 13 verses here, I, I cut parts out. So I just want to read to you the heart of the story that Jesus tells. So again, this is a story. This is a parable Jesus is making, is telling in order for us to understand the father. So a certain man had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. In other words, give me my inheritance. So he divided to them his livelihood. 
the younger son wasted his possessions with prodigal living. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough? I perish with hunger. I will arise, go to my father, and will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, the father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Come on in, guys. So there are a lot of things in this story that grab me. But to me, the most profound picture in this is it said when the father saw the son from afar that tells me every day that dad was going out on the front porch looking for his son every day looking and when he saw that little figure coming up over the horizon the father didn't wait for the son to get to the front porch. It says the father ran and threw himself on his son's neck. So the dad was always looking for his son. I think there is children's church if you want to send it back. There's not? Okay. <laughs> they can stay in here if you want them to stay in here. That's okay. Let's go. I have a couple of lessons for them. So here's what happened. The younger son asks for his inheritance, which was a real insult to the dad. Because to ask for the inheritance says, Dad, I want nothing to do with you but I would certainly like your money. I would like to live my own life, and I would like you to pay for it. Sounds like fatherhood. Um, <laughs> but the dad doesn't say, no, you're not mature enough to handle this, or no, you haven't done enough to merit your inheritance. It says the dad went and separated the son's inheritance and gave it to him, and the son went away, the father knowing that the son was not mature enough to handle his inheritance. And even though the father let the son go, the father in his heart believed there would come a day when the son would return. And every day, the father looked for his son. The father gave his son the money because he knew that the selfish was going to be broke. The boy's heart had to be broken. And the only way it was going to be broken was for the boy to be empty of everything and to have nothing left to fall back on. 
And even after the boy squanders his inheritance, he has too much pride. He, he lives with the pigs and he eats what's thrown out for the pigs to eat. Until one day, he has a wake-up call. And in that wake-up call, he says, look it, my dad's a good guy. And I have done a lot to harm my father. And quite frankly, I don't deserve to be called my father's son anymore. I don't deserve to be treated like a son. But my dad is such a good man that his servants are living a better life right now than I am. Certainly, I can go back and have my dad hire me as a servant. So at least I don't have to sleep and eat with the pigs anymore. So the son comes with the full intention not to ask his dad forgiveness, not to be reinstated. He comes with the full intention because he looks at himself not through his father's eyes. He looks at himself through his own failures. He looks at himself through his own brokenness. And that's the one thing that we as followers of God tend to do to keep us from fully embracing the intimacy of the fatherhood of God. We don't look at ourselves the way God looks at us. We look at ourselves the way we see ourselves and the way the enemy wants to keep us caught up in our brokenness. When the son showed up to the father, the father never said, I mean, I mean look at this. It says the son came to himself. It literally means he came to his senses. He said, I'm an idiot. What am I doing? When the father sees the son on the horizon, what he says is, okay, he's broken now. No, he says, there's my boy. That's my son. He runs and he throws himself on his son's neck and he kisses him saying, I love you, I love you, I've missed you, I'm glad you're home. Um, Jesus is saying that the son is stunned and bewildered. He says, wait, 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 Dad, just let me live with the servants. Instead, the dad says, no, servants, go get the best robe, the robe that's intended for the most honored of guests. Go and kill the fatted calf. Now, later, the older brother does get a little upset, saying, you know, why, why after he squandered everything, are you now honoring him? Haven't I been faithful to you? And the father's reply is, yes, because you've been faithful to me the whole time you've been here, everything that's mine is yours. There's nothing more I can give you. I have nothing hidden away. Everything I already have has already been yours. But your brother was lost, and now he's found. He was broken, and now he's come back. And so we're rejoicing. And so the dad's saying, look, you don't have to be on probation. You don't have to prove yourself. You haven't broke my trust, and therefore it's going to take forever to build a trust. It says he's immediately, he didn't wait two weeks, two hours, two months. Immediately he had a party. They broke it out. They, they brought the garment out. They killed the pig. And then they began to be merry. Now, I had to do some deep theological searching here into my Greek dictionary and it literally means they began to party they did they killed the cat all the calf yeah what mary yeah i don't remember just just the translation is to be married to party 
So immediately they had a party. They rejoiced. Um, when he didn't feel he even had a chance, the father knew his son, had he not been broken, not have come back, had his heart not been changed, had he not been broken. And when we feel the gladness of the father in our heart, it's a very profound thing. Jesus is saying, look it, this is what Abba is like. This is what daddy God is like. It's about the father restoring a son back to favor, not based upon anything except the son's return or repentance. He turned around and he came back. It's about how the father feels when he loses a son to compromise and the son turns to come back. It's exactly how God feels about us. That's why he says, cast all your cares upon me for I care for you. That's why he says, in your weakness, I am made strong. That's why he wants us to know there is nothing we could ever do that would cause him to not love us and not accept us. Now, we can't have fellowship with sin, so we do have to repent. We do have to turn and come back. The father looked for the son to turn and come back every day, and when he saw the son on the edge of the horizon, he put it in B for a boogie, and he ran all the way to his son so that he could fall on his shoulder and let him know how much he loved him, how much he missed him. And that's what God's doing with us. Every time you and I make a choice that is ungodly, God is standing there waiting for us to turn around, to come back to him. And he's down the stairs, and he's on our neck before we can even get the words out of our mouth because that's what a dad does. That's, that's the emotion of dad. That's the emotion we saw in the lives of these three kids in this video whose lives were changed by the spirit of adoption, by men who took them in and loved them as their own. And these kids found their identity and the love of these men who did not birth them, but who raised them. And it's the same thing with God as father. So if we need to understand the Father's heart. One of our greatest needs is to be convinced that the Father enjoys us when we are at our weakest point. Um, that the Father pursues us to share his heart with us. He wants to break the spirit of shame and despair. And can I just tell you, I believe there are times that God plays hide-and-seek with us. There are times, I was, I was at a place this week, one day I, I wrote in my journal, because usually every day when I get up, I have a song, there's a scripture I read, I meditate on it, I have conversation with the God, I, with not the God, with, with God. Um, <laughs> I, I write the conversation down, I write how I'm feeling, I write what I feel he says back to me. There was a day this week where I felt like, where are you, I, I can't hear your voice. You know, you, you're being silent to me. And, and I was writing, okay, did I do something? You know, what, what can I do to, and, and there are just times God wants us to do an inventory of our own heart and what is our relationship based upon with him. And so, and he just wants us to recognize what he sees in us. And it wasn't that there was anything profoundly wrong it's just that I felt like he just wanted me to seek him a little deeper than I normally do. 
And so I had to spend a little more time sitting and listening. I had to spend a little more time meditating on the word. I had to, uh, one of the places I go to pray, I drive up to the canyon. I, I drove up there and I started to pray. And as I'm sitting, I love to listen to the river run. I'm going, okay, here I am. I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm listening. Are you going to speak? And it took, it took a while, but all of a sudden we connected and he just began to say, I just want you to know that even when it feels like I'm not there, I'm there. Always need to feel that. We need to know when it feels like we've done something to broke that fellowship, that he's always on the front porch waiting for us to turn and to come back. So the Father is our greatest cheerleader, God the Father. He knows our weakness, Psalm 103, 14. Also, I read Psalm 103, uh, 13 at the beginning of the message where it says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Verse 14 says, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust, which means he knows that he made us and he still loves us and has a plan and a future for us. You know, he, he's patient with us. Romans 2, 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? The perfect picture of the, of the prodigal's father. Forbearance, goodness, long-suffering, knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. It was the son's realization of the goodness of his father, even to his servants, that caused the son to turn around and come back to his father. To know that God has plans to provide for our good. This is a verse nobody likes, but it's in the Bible. Hebrews 12, 6. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. And he goes on and says, verse 10, he disciplines us for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. As a parent, I know that there are times that my children are only going to learn through discipline. Not through punishment, not through harshness, but through discipline that helps them understand the lesson they need to learn. God does the same thing with us. God chastises us, and for each one of us, it's different. I, I've found in my life, God's chastisement of me always takes place in the areas where I struggle with trusting him the most. And so it's not like he's, you know, there going, bad, bad boy, get in the corner. He says, okay, let's, let's see how you're going to trust me through this. Let's see how you're going to hold on to me through this. And so um, children ought to... <clears throat> Children ought not lay up for their parents, but the parents for their children, which Paul says, but it's just talking about how it's a parent's responsibility to care for their kids. Matthew 6, 32, for your heavenly father knows all that you need, all these things. The father also wants partnership with his children. So a father calls forth because he alone knows our potential and his plans for us. Revelation 2, 17, I will give him a white stone, and on the stone, a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. This, this is a great study. But basically, when we get to heaven, not only do we get a new body, we get a new name. 
and here's the thing. He's going to hand us a stone with our name on it, and he says, the scripture says, which no one knows except him who receives it. So it means, sure, everybody's going to know our name eventually, but the first one to know what our new name is, is us. It's that intimate moment when God the Father gives his new creation, his son and daughter, their new name. Um, <clears throat> the Father trains us without shaming us. 1 Thessalonians 2.11, we exhorted, comforted, and charged everyone as a father does his children. 1 Corinthians 4.14, I do not write these things to shame you, but as beloved children, I warn you. Colossians 3.21, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. How many fathers need to know that because their fathers, how many kids' lives are a mess because their fathers did nothing but tell them how worthless they were and didn't encourage them. Ephesians 6.4, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The father reveals his heart to his children. So not only do we get a new name on a stone, but listen what else happens. They shall see his face, and his name shall be written on their foreheads. So not only do we have a new name, but here's the picture I get. So you all know Toy Story 1. You've seen it. And uh, there's Woody, and there's Buzz Lightyear. And the moment that all the toys recognize that Buzz Lightyear is official is when Andy writes his name on the bottom of Buzz Lightyear's foot. And, you know, Woody looks up his boot and says he has a name, and so now he and Buzz are equals. That's the same type of possession. Everybody's going to know that we belong to the Father because his name is written on our forehead. It's pretty amazing. And it doesn't say who writes the name. In Revelation 14.1, having his Father's name written on their foreheads. So it's not only we get a new name, but there's also this possession. There's this ownership. There's this identity. And as simple and as silly as Toy Story was, there was a reality there that the writers wanted to recognize, that a name written on something means it belongs to them, that they have they have pride in ownership. They don't want anybody else to say it's theirs. The same thing's going to be true when we get to heaven. God's pride in us being his kids is him giving us a new name and also writing his name on our forehead. So we're all going to have, you know, magic marker, you know, eternal marker. On our forehead, who knows if it's going to be in jewels or what it's going to be in, but we're going to have his name written on our forehead. The rest of our life, the rest of eternity, we're going to be identified as his possession because he's written his name on us. So, most of the human family have not experienced the tender touch of a loving father when when I meet with our mayor and we talk about issues in this city, he has an incredible father's heart for the city and for the kids of the city being a teacher. Um, 
in our school district for over 50 years and then being our mayor. Whenever we have a conversation, it always comes back to he recognizes how many young men in our city don't have the tender touch of a father. He has such passion and compassion. This one neighborhood where all these murders took place where David and Emily live. He has such a compassion and passion for those people. Our next pastor's gathering, he's asked that I take all the pastors to that neighborhood and we spend the entire hour and a half walking the streets, praying over the homes and praying for the families. He has such compassion and passion for these children to have a father identity that is not gangs, that does not say violence and murder uh, is what you need to do to be accepted into a family. And so the void is such a great source of pain that people are going to seek it. And it's our responsibility to say, hey, there is a father who loves you unconditionally, who embraces you fully, who writes his name on your forehead, who makes you his, his possession. It's a, he becomes your identity. And it is God the Father. He loves you unconditionally. It's a very simple message that we need to get out there. We need to live it in such a way that people recognize it. So we have to find forgiveness in our heart if we've been hurt by our father. Now, Gina already walked us through that earlier this morning. You know, there is no perfect dad. I can go back. I can tell you the times I hurt my kids. There's, there's certain moments. I remember saying things or doing things to my kids growing up that I wish so desperately I could go back and do over. Um, I, heard, I heard a speaker once who, um, his name was Ken Poor, and he, he used to travel and speak at youth conferences. He, he was headquartered out of Hume Lake, and he'd just speak at youth conferences. And so when his son became a teenager, he, uh, he decided to take his son with him to one of the conferences. On the way, they got a flat tire. And so they had to open the trunk and take all the suitcases out. And so he took his sweater off. He had a white cashmere sweater, took his sweater off, laid it in the trunk so he could pump the car up and change the tire. So he put it back, and he had his son. He says, shut the, shut the trunk. Well, the sleeve of the white sweater was over the latch of the trunk. And so his son shut the trunk and couldn't get it to shut until it finally shut. And then it popped again, and they looked, and there was a hole through the sleeve of the sweater and it was all oily. And Ken said, I just ripped into him. I told him what, how stupid he was, what an idiot he was. And he said, I ridiculed him. And he said, we, we still had like a three-hour drive. And my son's crying. And he said, finally, after about an hour and a half, um, we had to pull over. And I just had to apologize to him. And I cried. And I prayed with them. I asked him to forgive me. I told him I was sorry. I should never said that. I got angry. I love him more than I love my sweater. He said years later when his son was going to get married, he and his son were having a talk. And he says, you know, I still can't get over that time that I was so abusive to you for what you did to my sweater. And his son said, what sweater? What are you talking about? And his son had totally forgotten about that moment. Why? Because his father had forgiven him, had asked for forgiveness, had loved him, and it was no longer an issue. The son fully accepted the father's forgiveness, fully accepted that his dad loved him. 
And too many dads don't apologize to their kids. Too many dads don't come and reconcile when they're wrong with their children. And I will say those moments that I can remember with my kids that I wish I could go back, I have reconciled them. I did make it right at that moment, but I still remember it. You know, it may not have wounded them, but it wounded me. It's still a part of me. So the important thing is that we go forward, and, and if there's something, even though we've prayed today, if there's something your dad did, you know, you all knew my dad. My dad was an awesome guy, but you know what? The man he was that you knew here was not how it was growing up because my dad grew up with a, a very stern dad. My dad grew up and his mom died when he was 11. He had a stepmom that didn't like him. Um, his dad was a very rough Scottish man. And uh, to escape, my dad got married shortly after he turned 18. You know, for Delia, that's really old. Um, my mom was barely 17. You know, they had me 11 months later. And so in their brokenness, they had to learn how to be parents, how to be married. Um, they had all this stuff going on, and, and they had no compass on how to be good parents. And so we just walked through it. But through the years, you know, after my parents moved down here and after our, our roles switched, after I became the caregiver for my parents and I began to look out for them, all of a sudden my dad's and my relationship changed. And it wasn't that I worked harder. I, became, so I never felt like I measured up. I always felt like I needed to work harder. I became an engineer because my dad was an engineer. You know, I, I just wanted my dad's approval. And my dad never received approval from his dad. His, my, my grandpa never said anything good to my dad. And so my dad didn't know how to do that. But in the latter years of his life, I can't tell you how many times he told me he loved me. I can't tell you how many times he told me he was proud of me. I can't tell you how many times he told other people how proud he was of me. And a lot of stuff was healed because of that. And so if you have those types of things with your parents, you need to pray them through. You need to forgive you know, if you need to go to them and ask for forgiveness, do it. Or if you just need to do it in your heart and get on with it. Because the need of a father is so important, no matter how old you are. No matter how far you live. And so we need to go forward in knowing who God really is in our life. Not who we think he is, but who he really is. And we need to open up and move into this true, intimate relationship with God as father. And um, over and over and over again, he simply says that's all he wants. Yes, he is God. Yes, he is omnipotent. I don't ever want to diminish the sovereignty of God. I can't diminish the sovereignty of God. I mean, God's sovereign. How do you diminish that? God's omnipotent. How do you diminish that? God's omniscient. How do you diminish that? You can't. But I don't ever want us to lose sight of how intimate and how loving, how much the personality of God, how much the emotion of God is toward us, how deeply he loves us, how we have that certificate of adoption that says we're his, that our true identity is in him and Christ alone, and that because of that adoption, we get a new name, we get his name stamped on our forehead, we get eternal rulership. We are for all eternity 
grafted into this family, and he calls us sons and daughters. He doesn't call us stepkids. We are not God's stepchildren. We are his adopted children with full privilege and inheritance that comes from being birthed into a family. And so if there's anything that, if somebody asked me, it would be the one thing you'd want to emphasize. If you could only preach one sermon your whole life and you could go anywhere to preach it, I would always preach on the Father heart of God. I think it is. It is the most freeing and powerful thing in the life of a believer when we fully embrace and we fully understand God not as the angels understand him, as holy and worthy, which we do need to know that about him, but as Jesus knew him, as Abba, as Daddy. Let's pray. Wow. Father, <clears throat> what a privilege to say that name, to know, God, that it's not some arbitrary title that we give you simply because the Bible says it or simply because we heard Jesus speak it, that we recognize by the spirit of adoption that you are our daddy, period. We're not, you're not a stepdad. We're not stepchildren. We are fully adopted. Our old, old things are passed away. Our old birth certificate is torn up. We're given a new one. We're given a new name. Your name stamped on our forehead. We walk in full identity as you, Lord. I pray for every person in this room today. God, I ask if there's anything in you, their full identity, it would be the assurance of their identity in you. Their full identity comes from being sons and daughters of the Most High God. To know that you've always known them, You've always loved them. It says, before we were knitted together in our mother's womb, you knew us. You've always known us. You've always had a destiny for us. You've always loved us. First John says, this is love. Not that we loved you, but that you loved us first and sent your son as a propitiation for our sins. God, may we never lose sight of the deep, intimate Abba love you have for us. May it be our identity and may it be our hope as we walk every day. Any situation we encounter, may we know that when we come to you, we don't come in shyness. We don't come as a prodigal coming back saying, I know I don't deserve this. Just throw me out with the slaves. But coming back to know when we come into your presence, you get out the coat, you kill the fatted calf. There is merriment because we are your kids and we're coming back into our full inheritance, into our full position as your sons and daughters with you as our dad. So Father, may we hold on to that identity. May it be our driving source every single day. I am the son. I am the daughter of the Most High God. He is my father. He loves me. He's always loved me. He will never stop loving me because he has adopted me. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.